and welcome to a podcast from First Baptist Church of Alpharetta. Our hope is that this message leads you to know Jesus and discover hope as we pursue a Jesus-centered life together. Thanks for listening and let's jump in. Morning, everybody. Glad that you're with us today. So glad that you're joining with us. If you're online or over in the chapel, turn to somebody next to you, tell them Merry Christmas today. Let them know that you're glad they're here. And Merry Christmas, you guys are coming to us live there. And, and just so you know, we are T-minus eight days from the event, everybody. Does everybody understand that? Like, it's almost here. This is not a drill. How many of you, you're done with your holiday shopping already? You're already done. You're already done. Man, great job. Gold star for you guys. How many of you, you still got a ways to go? Just a little ways to go. Okay. Well, there it is. Well, just a reminder that Santa's sleigh usually takes about, you know, a week shipping around this time of year. So like tomorrow's your day if you're going to make it happen. All right. So just get that going there. And as you're making your final uh, Christmas preparations and figuring out when you're going to get together with the family and friends and all the things that are about to happen. Let me just remind you, next Sunday is going to be a special, special day for us because next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and we don't always get a chance to do Christmas Eve on a Sunday, but we do this year, and it's going to be a beautiful time together. Now, we've got services at 11, 3, and 5 o'clock, and we actually added a whole service time because last year we were literally at capacity. Could, you could not put even a single other person inside the room for us for Christmas Eve, and so we've added additional service times. So we've got services at 11, 3, and 5 o'clock. This is your chance, everybody. Everybody. If you ever thinking, what would it be like to sleep in on a Sunday? This is your day, all right? You can sleep in because all services are identical from 11, 3, and 5 o'clock. If you come to 3, it'll be the same as at 11, 5, same as at 11, that kind of thing. So, so sleep in, and then we'll see you back there later that afternoon. And when you come, let me just encourage you. If you are able to park off-site, that would be tremendously, tremendously helpful. Uh, we have around about a thousand people that are trying to get on our campus on a Sunday morning, even more than that around Christmas Eve and different things like that. And we only own 213 parking spaces. So, you know, the math is not in our favor here. So if you can park off-site in the downtown garage, we'll be running shuttles back and forth and helping you get to and from there. We would love to help you and your family transport in and out that way. And I do want to encourage you, bring your, bring your kids with you. We're going to have a great time with them. All of our services, whether they're here or over in the chapel or family friendly. We even got little electric light up uh, candles for the kids. They don't burn the building down, all the things, right? And so I encourage you to come and be a part of Christmas Eve, one of my favorite services of the whole year, and invite somebody to come with you. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah. Isaiah is where we're going to be at. We've been in a series called The Promise of Christmas. The Promises of Christmas. What we're really doing is we're unpacking some of the Old Testament promises, prophecies that we find there. And there's several of these, dozens all across the Old Testament. But we're really honing in on just a few, a handful from the book of Isaiah. Because what happens is, is these prophecies, they not only tell us who the Messiah would be, but what he came to do in our lives. In fact, that's been kind of the definition that we've been talking about. Messianic prophecies not only define who the Messiah would be, but also what he came to do in our lives. It's one thing to know the facts of Christmas that, yeah, I mean, there was, there are three wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and there's angels, and there's flocks by night, and there's shepherds, and there's Mary and Joseph in a stable and a manger. It's one thing to know all of those things. It's another thing entirely to know what it means and why it's important and the impact it can have on your life today. And so really what we're doing over the course of the series is unpacking what does the promise of Christmas hold for us as we study these Old Testament passages of Scripture. Isaiah 52 is where we're going to be at, working our way into Isaiah 53. And, and here's what I really want to talk to us about today. I really want to talk to us about the coronation of our Messiah King. 
We know this from some of the things that we've been talking about, that the Messiah is the one foretold in the Old Testament that would come and reunite us in a relationship with God. And the scripture is filled with language that he shall reign, that he shall be a king of kings and a Lord of lords. The question is, if he is the king, our Messiah king, what is his coronation? Now, coronations are something that we don't do here in our own country, but something that we've had even recent history on a national stage. On May 6, 2023, more than 20 million people watched the coronation of King Charles III. In addition to that, tens of thousands of people poured into London to see the coronation of King Charles III. Listen, that was more people attended this than even attended the college football national championship last year or the World Series. I mean, this is just an amazing event, people watching the coronation of their king. It was a moment of great fanfare and regalia, a thousand years of tradition all wrapped up into this moment. It's actually a point in time that they actually confer the crown jewels upon the new king or the new king, the new monarch that's there. In fact, I think we have a picture of that there. Uh, those are the crown jewels uh, that King Charles is holding. And I just got to think that he has one thought going through his mind at this point. Don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip, and don't drop that golden orb right there uh, on the ground. He was crowned by, King, uh, by Archbishop Canterbury, Justin Willowberry, and the crowd chanted as soon as he was crowned, God save the king. Now, what's interesting about this is that this event did not make Charles king. In fact, legally, the way that it works, at least in the Great Britain uh, monarchy, is that as soon as the last monarch passes away, the next in line immediately becomes the king or the queen. And so when Queen Elizabeth passed away on September 8, 2022, eight months earlier, he was already king. So why the need for the ceremony? Why the need for a coronation? Why the need to have this moment in time where everybody looks and crowns the king and says, this is the guy if he's already the king. Well, this is coming from the House of Commons. It explains why they, have, why they do coronations. Coronations emerged as a way to bring stability to the kingdom because there were often several different individuals that would make a claim to the throne. So they instituted a coronation so that there would be no misunderstanding about who the one true king or queen would be. And in the very same way, as we kind of get into the scripture today, and we've been talking about the Messiah, our Messiah King, the question is, how do we know that he really is the king he says he is? Because anybody could read the Old Testament prophecies and try and line their life up to it. How is it though that he is the one as foretold by scripture? In fact, what does scripture describe for us as the coronation of our Messiah King? How are we supposed to know that he's the one, the one true undisputed King? Well, we get the answer when we read about it here, Isaiah 52, moving into Isaiah 53. It says this in verse 13, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, just breaking down this verse for just for a moment, when it's speaking about the servant right here, it's speaking about the Messiah. In fact, this is, comes in a line of scriptures about messianic prophecies, and they all refer to the Messiah as a servant. And it says that this servant, this Messiah would come and he would act wisely. That word right there, if you have your paper Bible, 
Bible there in front of you, you may notice there's a little footnote in there. And the little footnote actually even defines that as maybe prospering or to be successful. The idea is, is that this one, this servant, this Messiah, would not only be wise, but great success in his wisdom as well. And because of that, he is going to have a status unlike any other. And Isaiah uses three words to basically say the exact same thing, that he shall be high and lifted up that he shall be exalted. It's a little bit like the song that we just sang here in the auditorium, that he is going to be the name above all other names. And in fact, that word exalted, you may have sung it before, you may have read it before, but you may not necessarily know what it means. It means to be lifted higher than any and other person, any other position, any other ruler that you are that supreme, number one pinnacle place that you are exalted. This is the description that Isaiah gives to us for that Messiah that's to come, that one who's to have the highest standing, the Messiah King. But then he describes for us, how will we know? What will his coronation be? How will we know that this is the one? Well, with kings of the earth, they, they put crowns on their head and robes on their body and, and thrones for them to sit on and have moments of trumpets and that kind of thing, but it's a little different for the Messiah King is described in scripture. It says this in verse 14, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, it was beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. The idea here being that the way you would know that Messiah King has come is that he would be beaten. In fact, beaten so severely that you would look at him and even wonder, is, is that even a human being? So severely was the way in which he was treated that you would wonder, is that even a real man? You couldn't even tell because of the way in which he was so poorly treated. This is the intro into what is the defining hallmark of our Messiah as we see it in Isaiah 53, the way in which we would know that a Messiah is who he said he is that he would be a suffering servant. We read about it as it continues on in verse one of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The idea here being that this Messiah would not come in great majesty. There wouldn't be a lot of pomp and circumstance that when he came, there would be no news coverage of his birth, that there would be no magazine covers, no breaking news now, look at what our Messiah is doing No, that this Messiah would come to suffer, be despised, and be rejected. And really, when you, the whole reason why Jesus would do this is he came for one particular purpose. The Messiah came for one particular purpose. And it is wrapped up in that term that we read back in verse 13, that he came to be a servant. Or in your notes today, the Messiah came to serve. To serve. Other rulers come for people to serve them. Other rulers come for people to, to, to meet their needs. But it says this, that our Messiah would, king, would come really to serve us. 
In fact, look at how Paul describes the birth of Jesus in Philippians chapter two. He says this in verse seven, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, that he was born to serve. Jesus described his life mission this way in his own words in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That he came not just to rule, not just to reign, but to serve us at the point of our greatest need. And servants have a one sentence job description. And here it is. Servants come to serve the needs of others in keeping with the interests of a master. This is what they do. This is how they live. This is the purpose of a servant. They come to serve the needs of other people. And if our Messiah King came to serve, here's the question we've got to think about. What need do we have that he came to fulfill? Or in your note sheets, what is the greatest need that you and I have. Why does our life, why does our existence, why does humanity need a servant, one to come and to serve? Well, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever been in debt before? Have you ever been in debt before? Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand because I am in debt. I am currently in debt right now. This is where I'm at. And if, if that's you, um, you're not alone. In fact, listen to this. According to, uh, to, some, to several research partners with the USA Today, did you know that one third of Americans went into debt last year for their holiday and Christmas related expenses. Uh, one third, one in three Americans went into debt for that. And, and if they went into debt, listen to this, one in four or 25% of Americans are still paying off last year's Christmas as they approach this year's Christmas right there. In fact, Americans in general own 1.03 trillion, not million, not billion, $1.03 trillion in credit card debt alone, just credit card debt. If you take all of our debts together, we owe $17.06 trillion in debt. That does not include the federal debt. That does not include the other debts of the world. That is just American consumer debt, $17.06 trillion worth of debt. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment, one person stepping up and saying, guess what guys, transfer it all on me. I'm gonna take on your debts on myself. And some of us would be elated about that. We'd be like, that's incredible. You go ahead and you have my mortgage. You can have the car payment. You can have the credit card payments. You go ahead, you take on my debt. But can you imagine one person, not a government bailout, not, not someone just forgiving that. I'm talking about one person taking on all of our financial debt. Is there anybody even possible who could do that? Well, paging Elon Musk, the world's wealthiest man, right? Let's see, could he take on the debts of the entirety of the American consumer debt? If he even sold everything he had, and if he was able to cash in on his entire net worth, it would be just $253.2 billion or 1.4% of our national debt and consumer debt that we have as Americans. That's not even enough to take care of the next payment, everybody. I mean, like, like one person taking on our debt would put them so underwater, so deep in debt, they would literally be crushed by our financial debt it would take them completely under. But what if I told you that sort of thing has already happened? Not financially, but spiritually. So what's described for us 
in Isaiah 53 of one coming along to take on the sin debt of the world. Verse four puts it this way. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, afflicted. Do you see the language of weight? Do you see that it is simply saying that the servant, this Messiah King would take on the weight of our sin, sickness and sadness for himself, would wear it for us. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is, was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Why did Jesus have to come? What is the purpose of Christmas? I mean, we love Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, and singing all the songs, Little Town of Bethlehem, but why? If Jesus is the reason for the season, what's the reason for Jesus? Why did he have to come? What was the purpose in his arrival? It was not simply to be a great teacher. And it was not simply to be one who would tell us about the Father. It was to be the one who would make a way back to the Father. And the only way to do that was that he had to take on the debts for our sins. You can't pay for your sins. No one else can pay for your sins. It's just the weight's too big, it's too heavy. And the Bible describes the weight of our sin in these terms. It says the wages or the penalty for our sin is death. And Jesus came to this earth. And to that point, all those years ago in Bethlehem, to take his first breath as a little bitty baby so that he could grow and become the man that at about 33 years of age, the God-man, would die upon the cross, the death that we were supposed to die for our sins, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed by our iniquities, that he would take it all upon himself. See, Christmas really is the promise to pay for our sins. Christmas is the promise that one has come to pay for our sins, to take on our debt, that one has come so that we might be forgiven and have a new opportunity into a relationship with God. We must never look at the beauty of the manger without also being able to see the tragedy of the cross ahead. It is the reason why he came. And in fact, Isaiah 53 is so specific about this. It wants you to understand this Messiah King came, the one who is high, the one who is lifted up, the one who is exalted specifically so he might have a different kind of coronation, that his coronation would not be a bejeweled crown, but one that was crafted with thorns that would be placed upon his head forced upon his brow. But they would call him mockingly the king of the Jews. And he would eventually be taken to a place, not to be seated on a throne, but to be high and lifted up on a cross. 
And this would be the establishment of his reign in our hearts because at that point, because he was willing to be pierced for our transgressions, because he was willing to be crushed for our iniquities, because he was willing to take on the crown and the nails and the cross for us, that would earn a way for us to be forgiven and for him to be able to reign in our lives forevermore, making a way for us back to the Father. This is the coronation of our king, born in a manger, already the king of the world, but the coronation to come at the cross. We understand this, though he was pierced for our sins, he was not conquered by our sins. We understand that three days later, come on, a little bit of Easter in our Christmas, right? Three days later, he rose again, that he is alive, that because of him, we can be forgiven and we can experience new life. We understand that because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we have hope now and forevermore. And that is the true meaning of Christmas. That's the beautiful message of the whole thing. And in just a moment, so that we don't lose sight of that this Christmas season, we're gonna do something that we always do in December. And the reason why we do it in December, because we really want to draw in and remind ourselves again of why Jesus came. We're going to remember the Lord's Supper together. Remember that he came so that his body might be broken. Remember that he came so that his blood might be spilled for us. In just a moment, we're going to observe that and remember it together. But before we get there, I just wanna ask you one question today. Because it's vitally important that you understand this question, especially if you're new to Christianity or new to the whole idea of Christmas, or new to what I've been talking about today. And here's the question. If he is king, does he reign in your heart? Has there ever been a time that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Ever been a time that you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Has there ever been a time that you came before him and said, Jesus, I need you. I believe in what you've done for me. And I accept the free gift of salvation that is mine through your death and your resurrection. And if that's never happened for you, it can happen right here, right now, today. Here in this auditorium, over in the chapel, or watching online today, today you can begin that relationship with Jesus Christ and invite him to come reign in your life. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? And maybe this Christmas, it's gonna take on a new meaning for you because maybe this Christmas for the very first time, it's not just gonna be about that baby in the manger, but a savior who took the nails, who took the cross for you. Maybe today is the day you finally give your life to Jesus Christ. He says, Steve, I don't even know how I would do that. Well, listen, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. You can take the words of this prayer and make it your own. But pray these things, believe them from wherever you're at today to a God who hears you and loves you and wants to save you and give you a relationship with himself. If you're ready to know him, once you pray this silently in your heart as I pray it aloud, pray this or something like it. God, I come before you today and I know that I have sin in my life. I know that I've disobeyed you, but I believe with all my heart that Jesus, you came to this earth specifically so that you could die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. And so right now, as best I know how, I'm giving you my life and I'm asking you for forgiveness based upon what you've done. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer. Now come and reign in my life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, look right up here at me. 
Today, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time that's really genuine in your life, I want you to know we celebrate with you. We wanna encourage you, we wanna help you take next steps of faith. And after this service is over, uh, we're gonna have a time where you can come and talk with our pastors over here at the Next Steps area, over here to my left, your right there in the chapel. You can come to the front. There'll be a pastor there waiting for you as well. Online, there's an online host. But, but come and let somebody know about the decision that you've made to follow Jesus so we can encourage you and help you take those next steps. But for all of us today, whether you just met Jesus or whether you've known him for many, many years, right now we're gonna take some time to remember why he came through the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna invite our deacons to take their place at the front of the room and turn things over to our folks there in the chapel, to Pastor Larry. And I wanna just remind you of what's happening in this moment. This is a time for believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ, to remember that his blood was poured out, his body was broken for you and for me. And if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, you're still exploring things, can I tell you, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're here. But I'll just encourage you because this is a time for believers. If the plate comes your way and you're not there yet, just let it pass by beyond you and just be, feel free to be here to observe this moment. This is a time for those who have trusted Christ. Also, if you are here today and you've known Jesus for, for quite some time, I'd encourage you, the Bible tells us to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, meaning that we take some time to confess take some time to repent, take some time to pray over our lives before we partake of it together. So we're just gonna have some time as these elements are being distributed, just quiet. And I encourage you to take that time just to pray, to ask the Lord to search your own heart, to prepare you to take this together. Uh, as these are distributed, you're gonna have those little um, the elements there in your hand, just hold on your hand. I'll give you instructions what to do in just a few minutes. I'm gonna pray for us. And when I say amen, men, if you will serve. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your body broken and for your blood poured out for us. Thank you so much for the great sacrifice that you came to make for us. And Lord, we don't wanna just see Christmas. We wanna see the totality of your reign in our life. Thank you that you are willing to allow yourself to be taken so low so that we could be lifted back into a relationship with you. We remember that now as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. We love you, we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen if you'll serve.
the night before Jesus went to the cross, shared a meal with his disciples. Some people will call this the Last Supper. And during that meal, he took a couple of the elements that were there at the table, the bread and the cup, and he infused them with new meaning. I want you to go ahead and take that tab off of the bread side there and hold this in your hand. And then I want you to listen very carefully. The words of Jesus that night, Luke chapter 22, verse 19, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. If you'll turn it over there to the cup side and remove that tab. He continued on and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant which is in my blood. Pray with me. Lord, we worship you. We worship you because you came, because you lived, and because you died for us. We understand this, Jesus. We are unworthy of your blood and unworthy of your body broken. And yet, because of your great love, you did it for us. And so this Christmas, we remember and we celebrate and we worship you for what you've done. Lord God, we celebrate as well because we know that you are not just dead in the grave, but you are alive. And so when we sing these songs, we sing them to a living God. And so as we prepare to stand, as we prepare to sing, God, I pray that you would just soak in the worship from this place. You are worthy of every word. You're worthy of every praise that we can give to you right now because of what you have done for us. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find your next steps and learn more online at fbca.com.